today I want to I want to talk to you about being people of sacrificial love. The word sacrifice is a word that's uh, kind of lost in our vocabulary today. No one wants to sacrifice. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, you know, I just feel like sacrificing something. Besides, I mean, you may want to sacrifice one of your kids, but I'm talking about like for yourself. Like some, nobody's like, I feel like I just need to lay my life down today. Right? Most of us are trying to figure out how to justify it and defend it. And we're not going to the Father and saying, Lord, I give you my life today. Sacrifice is a, is a scary word. Because I associate sacrifice with Jesus hanging on a cross and the pain that was associated with it. And the loss and the, and the struggle with everyone who was left as, as he died on the cross. I, I, that's when I think about sacrifice, I think about death. That's what it comes to me. It comes to death. And, and how, how can we be people of sacrificial love if we're not willing to die? We're not willing to lay our lives down. I want to show you something about following Jesus because let me, let me start by asking a question. How many of you would, would, would consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus by show of hands? If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, keep your hands up. I want you all to look around. Look around. See all the people in here that consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, okay? And I'm not going to debate whether you are or not. I'm just I'm, I'm trying to do something here. Many of us consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, but I wonder how many of us have ever asked Jesus where he's going. I could tell one of my girls, hey, jump in the truck, come take a ride with me. You know what the first thing they're going to ask is where we're going. Probably because they want to know if Dairy Queen's involved. <laughs> or if they're going to have to commit to something that they don't want to commit to. Like, are we going to work cows, Dad? Are we going, like, what are we going to do? Are we going to work? No, I'm good, Dad. I got, I got homework. <laughs> but we got to get better at asking Jesus where he's going. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you might ought to know where he's going. You might ought to even be interested in where he's going, and you ought to be thinking about where he's going. Where is Jesus going? If you're a follower of Jesus, was you, or is that just, I just sit still and like I just, I just, in some kind of weird way, I just float along and, that, and I'm a follower of Jesus? No, you got to ask Jesus where you're going. Where are you going? I want to follow you where you're going. What's going to be the end result of me following you? Unfortunately, though, most of us don't ask that question, right? In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew, then we'll spend the rest of our time in Luke chapter 10. But Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, kind of touches on the basis of following Jesus. It says, uh, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. They were fishermen. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for what? People. And they left their nets at once and what? Followed him. If Jesus has the audacity to say, come and follow me, then that means that he's going somewheres. If he's going somewheres, we might ought to be a little bit interested in where Jesus is going. I'm trying to get somewheres this morning. Because if you're not even interested in where Jesus is going, then I have to question, are you even really willing to follow him? Because you can't say, I went to the store with dad, but you never got in the truck. (laughs) 
If Jesus has the audacity to say, come and follow me, that means he's going somewhere. And if we're going to follow him, we might ought to be interested in where we're going. What's going to happen? These guys were fishermen. How many of you know what it's like to be a fisherman? How many of you have been fishing before? Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fisherman. I'm a recreational fisherman. I like the peace and the tranquility that comes with fishing. I've fished a couple of bass tournaments in my life, and I'll be honest with you, I don't like them because they turn into work. Too much pressure. I want to get in the boat and relax. Like if I don't feel like fishing and I want to lay down in the bottom of the boat, I don't need nobody to give me no lip. Right? Just keep the boat in the water. We're going to be safe. <laughs> I like the peace and tranquility that comes with fishing. These guys were fishermen. They worked hard at fishing. There was days it was, it was crazy and hard, and then there was days it was probably very peaceful. When they're out in the middle of the water, there's no, no noise from the city. I'm sure there were tranquil times, right? And so these guys had this life that was kind of set up. They knew if they caught a lot of fish, it was going to be a lot of work. They knew if they didn't catch a lot of fish, that there wasn't going to be a lot of work that comes afterwards, right? So they were used to this style of life. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Which, can I just be honest, that sounds kind of weird. Like, no, bro, I'm catching fish. <laughs> you can't fillet somebody. <laughs> so Jesus asked them to come and follow him, and they did. They left their nets at once, and they followed him. Have you ever thought about where you would end up if you followed Jesus seriously? Have you ever considered what your life would be like if you gave everything to Jesus? Like if you just completely sold out like these guys did. I mean, they dropped their business to follow Jesus. Let's just be very honest and frank about it. They dropped their nets, walked away from their business, and literally followed Jesus wherever he went. They got out of their comfortable, known place, and they went into a place that they had no clue where they were going. But they followed him. Have you ever thought about what it would look like? What your life could be like? What your legacy could be if you decided to follow Jesus seriously? Like no plan. Like no Indian giving. Give it, take it back. Give it, take it back. I know I'm not supposed to say that. That's probably offended somebody. Okay. If you're really committed to following Jesus, then his destination becomes your destination. Verse 23 to 24 says this, Jesus traveled, so this is where he's going. <laughs> Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. So they went to church. Where's Jesus go? To church. Where you ought to be? And you are today, church, right? He followed them. They followed Jesus into the synagogue, and he began to teach. Now, remember, they were in a boat. All they knew was catching fish and washing nets. Now they're, they're in church buildings. They're in synagogues, and they're listening to Jesus teach. They're not sweating like they used to. They're not using their muscles like they used to. They're sitting in there learning as Jesus teaches. It's different, right? How many of you know it can be uncomfortable to follow Jesus? Let me say it this way. It should be uncomfortable to follow Jesus. 
Because when you divorce following yourself and you decide to follow Jesus, it should cause some discomfort in your life. So stop fighting for comfort and let the discomfort come and fight for peace. Fight for following Jesus and just learn whatever you learn along the way. And (laughs) they went to church. What else did they do? They're following Jesus, right? Where are you going? Well, we're going to church. We're going to the synagogue. I'm going to teach a little bit. Okay, so they went to the synagogue and Jesus taught. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Oh, great. Now we're hanging out with sick people. (laughs) With diseases. You're like running into the COVID ward. What are you doing? What are you doing here? I'm following Jesus. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing all the sick people. (laughs) And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, epileptic, or paralyzed, he healed them all. So they went from hanging out with stinky fish to jacked-up people. Was that a little abrasive? But seriously, he went from hanging out with fish to hanging out with people that had issues. How many of you wake up in the morning and want to go hang out with somebody got an issue? Be honest. None of you. None of you. None of you wake up in the morning and go, I need somebody with more issues than me because I ain't got enough issues for myself. <laughs> Nobody does that. Who are we looking for? The person that's mature enough to not have any drama in your life. We want minimal drama people. Let's just be honest. Because drama people wear us out. But Jesus went to the drama people. He went to the sick and the hurting, the demon possessed. He didn't go there to judge them. He went there to set them free. And you can't set them free if you ain't willing to get around them. You got to be more afraid of them not making it into the kingdom than you are of their leprosy. I bet the disciples, I bet Peter and, and, and Andrew were like, bro, what the heck did we get into? Like, oh, bro, are you sure we made I bet you we were whispering tonight, are you sure we made the right decision? Like, bro, we can get out right now. Like, bro, like, I really like fishing right now. Like, even in August. <laughs> Come on, bro. Dude, there's some, poof. Jesus took them from the sea of tranquility to the sea of hurting humanity. And then he looked at them and said, welcome to the ministry. I've done some of the hardest jobs on the planet, physically wise. I've done things where I've hurt myself, exhausted myself. And just been flat out depleted. But I've never done anything as hard as ministry. I've also never done anything as rewarding as ministry. Welcome to the ministry. 
It's got a lot of possessed people, sick people, hurting people, weird people. We've had some weird people at this church. None of them are here today, though. <laughs> if you want to confess, I mean, that's fine. But, but, but like, I wasn't calling no names. <laughs> you see, the moment you say yes to following Jesus, he said yes to taking charge of where they're going, of where you're going. Jesus is the one that determines where we go. Remember, we set out to follow him. So just to be clear, it's not easy. It's not convenient. It's definitely not comfortable. And it's expensive. It's going to cost you everything. Some of your low-level life dreams are going to have to go to the wayside. Some of your ambitions are going to have to fall down and die because it's going to cost you. Oh, it's going to cost you in this temporal life, but it's going to reward you in the eternal life. Well, if we could just get a hold of that, it might change how we see things on the planet. So the way of Jesus, they're following Jesus, and the way of Jesus is sacrificial love. Jesus was an expert in sacrificial love. Go with me to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. People were always testing Jesus, trying to trip him up, trying to catch him messing up, slipping. Luke chapter 10 It says this, one day an expert in religious law stood up to to test Jesus by asking him this question, Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I love the way Jesus asked questions to answer your questions. (laughs) The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right on, brother. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And I got to ask you a question today. In fact, a few questions. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? How do you define neighbor? Who do you consider to be your neighbor? Because what the, 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 the teacher said was that it is to love, to, to love, lost my words. He said you must, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Who, who is your neighbor? Who are you supposed to be loving? Because Jesus said he gave the right answer, and he said you need to go and do that. So he flips the question and goes, who's my neighbor? Here's another question. Who, who am I to love just like myself? Who am I supposed to be loving just like myself? Who who qualifies? Maybe that's a better question. Who qualifies the same amount of love that I give to myself? Because let's be brutally honest today. Some of us judge people and we'd say they don't measure up to get the love that I give to myself. Is this making sense? Sometimes we judge people and we say, no, 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 no. You've made too many bad decisions. I can't love you like I love myself. Let somebody make you mad. Let somebody upset you. Let somebody disappoint you. You ain't loving them like you love yourself. Here's another question. Who am I responsible to love? (laughs) 
You can give your life to Jesus and you can do certain things for him and you you can make it into eternity. One day he's going to ask you the question, who did you love? Who did you take responsibility for? Who did you sacrificially lay your life down for? And guess what? You're going to have to be honest because he already knows. Amen? He already knows. There ain't no, there ain't no wiggling your way out of that. Who? Who? And it's not, it's not a question to see whether or not you get into heaven. You, heaven's already secure. It's a question to see how much reward you're going to get or not get. So a life of sacrificial love requires a couple of things, and I want to talk about those today. Four things. Number one, it requires open eyes. Open eyes. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. A Jewish man, so Jesus begins to tell a story to answer the question, who's your neighbor? A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but he saw the man lying there. He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. To be people of sacrificial love, you have to live with your eyes open. In other words, you have to want to see the opportunity that Jesus places in front of you. Because here's the reality. If you don't want to see it, you're going to act like you didn't see it. Come on. We don't have to be blind to act blind. If you don't want to see what Jesus wants you to see, then you're not going to see what Jesus wants you to see. But the minute you ask him to show him what he sees, let me see what you see, you're going to start to see some things that now you're going to be accountable for and you're going to have to do something with. Maybe that's why we back down and we act like we're blind because we don't want no responsibility. It's kind of like people don't want to go through first aid training because I don't want to be a first responder. I don't want to get that training because if I got that training, it requires me to get in the middle of this whole situation and act accordingly. So I don't want to be responsible for that. So I'm not going to be trained for that. So I'm not going to ask God to open my eyes because I don't want to see. But I'll surely complain. Oh, somebody needs to do something about that. The president needs to fix this. We put way too much pressure on the president. He's one man. And he's surely not God. I figured you'd say amen to that. (laughs) Let me be good. The priest, the priest, y'all, walks up to the man naked and half dead, beaten up on side of the road. And instead of helping... He acts like he didn't see it, and he walks to the other side. Mm. How many times have we walked to the other side? How many times have we turned our back on opportunities that Jesus has placed in front of us, thinking or trying to believe that somebody else will take care of that? What if their only hope was you? The priest in those days had to memorize the first five books of the Bible so they knew the word. They had to commune with God so to some degree they knew God. And they offered sacrifices to God. This priest was returning 
from Jerusalem where he had purified himself so he could perform his religious duties. And according to Jewish law, if you touched a man who died after you'd been purified, you had to go back to the temple and purify yourself again, which would take seven days. So think about it. The priest just left the whole purification process, and he's going to do his chores. He's going to do his thing. And if, if he stops and touches this man who's hanging on to dear life, he may have to go back, and it cost him another seven days to be purified to go do the job that he's supposed to do. Sound familiar? The priest saw inconvenience and he saw cost and he went to the other side of the road. It's kind of like being at Walmart. <laughs> and you see people that you ain't got time for. Oh, don't, don't snicker. You've all done it. You get to Walmart and you're looking. You got your radar on. Like, I got 10 minutes to get in and out. And you see so-and-so that has a, they're a little long-winded. And you hit aisle three when you're supposed to be on aisle seven. You ain't got no business on aisle three. It'll put a man in the women's section. <laughs> ain't got no business in the women's section. He's hiding out. It'll put a woman in the tool section, and then people are like, what you doing over here? And she's like, mm-mm. Now, don't get offended. I know women can use tools, too. But it's kind of like that. You just walk away. You, you, dodge the, you dodge the thing because you don't want to get involved in it. And I get it. I get it sometimes. Oh, I get it. I've, I'm guilty. I've, I've done that, too. Not at Walmart. I try not to go to Walmart. Verse 32. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, the temple assistant was like the junior varsity priest. He was the, you know, the junior priest. The funny thing is the junior priest looks up to the senior priest to learn what to do. And they say that on this road, you could see two to three miles down the road. So if the, if the junior priest saw the senior priest pass the guy by, then he was like, well, then surely I can pass the guy by. Because the senior priest, the big guy, passed him by. Let me speak to you parents for a minute. When you compromise, you give your kids permission to completely compromise. When you don't live sacrificially, you completely give your kids permission to not live sacrificially. That's what's wrong with this generation today. When you don't follow Jesus with everything that you have, you give your children permission to, to go half-hearted after Jesus. But I never said that. No, but you did with your actions. You know, there's a spiritual sacrifice that needs to be made when raising children also. It's not just your time and your energy and your effort and your patience. It's your spiritual sacrifice also. In fact, one of the greatest gifts you can give your children today is not a big bank account. It's not a big house or a bunch of land. It's a deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ himself. That is the greatest gift you can give your children. 
my God, your children need to see spiritual fruit being produced in your life. They need to see you in your failure, but they also need to see you in your victory. They need to see your process of maturity. They need to see you getting better and better and better. If you're still bumping your head against the same old post, it might be time to get a new post. Verse 33. Then a despised, say despised. A despised Samaritan came along, the guy that's expected not to stop. And when he saw the man, here it is, he felt compassion for him. Now, you see, what's funny is, is that the Samaritans and the Jews were basically enemies. They, they hated each other, especially the Jews hating the Samaritans because they considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds. And they, they, they considered them unclean. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. They didn't want any other Jews to marry them. And it was just, it was just this nasty thing. And, and it's funny to me that a despised, I love the way the Bible says it, a despised. He didn't just say a regular Samaritan. He said a, a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. You know what that tells me? That sometimes the people you despise can still have compassion for you. So here's the question, what do, you, what do you see when you look at people? There's this little vein that I believe God gave me today that he wants to just pick on. <laughs> it, it may be your inner idiot, I don't know. There's, there's this thing that I just think Jesus is really wanting to pick at today because some of us see people and we don't see them correctly because we don't want to see. Do you see people as a victim? Do you see them as an addict and they'll always be an addict? Do you see people as a lost cause? Do you see people as an accident, a screw-up, a problem? How do you see people? What have you said about people? They'll never amount to anything. After the hundredth time they've made the same dumb decision we're sitting over there judging the mess out of them going, they'll never amount to anything. When they've hurt you for the millionth time, they'll never amount to anything. They'll never change. How do you see people? Do you see them without hope? I get it. I get it. Because, listen, there's a lot of stuff, man. There's a lot of stuff today, Right? Like, they, like, there's idiots all over the news, all over the TV. There's, there's people saying and doing stupid stuff all the time. And, and if you're not careful and you don't guard your heart, you'll, you'll start to get calloused and you'll start to get hardened and you'll start to think, well, people just suck and they're, they're worthless and I ain't giving my time to people anymore. I'm going to take care of me and mine and I'm not going to take care of nobody else. When you've been hurt for so long, you go, I, I can't trust nobody. Nobody's trustworthy. I got to push everybody aside. And where are you at today? Are your eyes closed? Or is your vision blurry? Can you see people made in the image of God? Can you see them that way? With all their trash and all their baggage and all their decisions, can you see people? They're still made in the image of God.
You see, when you have the eyes of Jesus, you see people differently. Let me give you a few instances. When, the, when Jesus met the woman at the well, people saw a prostitute. Jesus saw an evangelist. When people saw Matthew, they saw a greedy tax collector. Jesus saw a disciple. When people saw Peter and John, they just thought they were common, uneducated, hardworking men. But Jesus saw future world changers. When people saw Lazarus, they saw a dead man. Jesus saw a testimony. Come on, somebody. When, they, when, when the disciples saw the crowd, they saw a problem. Jesus saw a harvest. So even as a believer, you can see wrong. And you need to evaluate your heart today. How have I been seeing people? Have I been judgmental? Writing them off, counting them off. Ain't got time for that. Maybe one of the best prayers you can pray today would be, God, help me to see people like you do. But I just want to caution you, you're going to start seeing people like he does. And there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to have to die inside of you to see people like Jesus does. Because I know what it's like to be abused and, and mistreated and disappointed and let down and, and get calloused. I know what that's like. I've been there before. I'm just not staying there. Can you see your kids different? Can you find hope again for your children, maybe for your spouse, maybe for your coworkers, or even for your city? Some of you are mad because God got you still in Eunice, and you're like, oh, I'm going to get out of Eunice. When I get out of Eunice, I'm going to get my ministry. What if your ministry is in Eunice? I wasn't looking for Eunice, but God stuck me here. I've kinda, I kind of like the place. And between God and my wife, I don't think I'm ever going to leave. So I plan on retiring in Eunice or dying in Eunice. That, that would be retirement, but <clears throat> duh. What if we became the church that refused to let one person go unseen, unnoticed, and unloved? Here's another question. I'm full of questions today. Who has God put in your way? Let me ask it this way. Who's bothering you right now? Who's on your last nerve? <laughs> yeah. Who's on your last nerve? Who are you just about to write off? Who's that person? You can't shake them. They're like a tick on a bloodhound. You can't get rid of them. You've rubbed against a tree. They won't come off. They won't disappear. They keep popping up. You can't shake them. You can't outrun them. Who is that? Who is that? You ought to write their name down right now and be really honest. But unless they're sitting next to you, then I would recommend not writing their name down because they might get offended and we might have to have a healing service after that. But, 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 but you could whisper to God in your heart and say, if you got a couple of them, you might want to. And then they might be going both it anyway. So to be people of sacrificial love, it requires open eyes. you got to want to see. If you don't want to see, you ain't going to see. Let's just be real honest today. If you don't want it, you ain't going to see it. You'd be, like you'd be like one of your kids when you tell them to go get something out of the fridge. I can't find it. I don't see it. You get up and it's right there in front of them. 
No, what was the real issue? You didn't want to see it. Uh-huh. We're not the only ones that got that issue at our house. The second thing it requires is an open heart. So open eyes, then an open heart. Verse 33, then, the, then a despised Samaritan came along, and he saw the man, and he felt, 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 felt compassion for him. He felt something. When's the last time you felt something? When's the last time you had something come from the deepest part of your soul and it broke your heart? When's the last time you felt something deeply? I'm not talking about a Hallmark movie. I'm talking about a person, a situation where you felt something deep inside and it wrecked you. This guy was despised. He knew the guy in the ditch didn't like him, but he still felt something. When's the last time you felt something for somebody else other than yourself? Because you see, when you ask Jesus to see like he sees, then eventually you're going to start to feel what he feels. Oh, you better be careful. You might not be ready to feel what he feels. Because it's not always pleasant. That word compassion in the Greek means pity from the deepest part of your soul. The deepest part. One of the most expressed attributes of God in the Bible is that he's a God of compassion. Think about that. It's expressed that he's a God of compassion way more than it's expressed that he's a God of judgment. So why should we be people who are more judgmental than compassionate? That's not Christ-like. That's not imitating the, the character and nature of God. That's imitating the world. Amen? <clears throat> so not only do we serve a compassionate God, but we're also called to be compassionate people. Have you ever seen something and in your heart you went, that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. It ain't right. And you had this thought. Don't raise your hands. You had this thought. Somebody needs to do something about that. Maybe you had this thought. Don't nobody else see what's going on? Like, y'all don't see what's happening? Somebody needs to do something. You ever been that way? Somebody needs to do something about that. And you're the elephant in the room. Don't even realize it's you. Hello. It's you. You, the somebody. Years ago, I was, before we had any staff members here, I would come and sit at the church all day because I felt like I needed to punch the clock. And I was sitting here in 10 hours a day, and I was going to Walmart, and I, I got in my truck, and I was backing up in that trailer park right there. There was a lady. There was some commotion going on. And so it got my attention, and I looked, and I went, kind of, I'm an ex-bouncer, so I kind of pay attention to things like that. And, there's, and what I saw was a guy trying to help an elderly lady uh, get into the trailer house. There's like five or six steps, and she's trying, and then there's another lady behind her hitting her with her cane. Like she's literally striking the lady who's struggling to get up the steps with a cane. Well, I didn't say, 
Somebody needs to do something about that. I carried my big tail over there, walked across the yard, walked into the situation, walked to the woman with the cane and said, you need to put that cane down. And this ain't my business. I'm not related to these people. They don't even come to my church. They close, but they ain't there yet. I'm like, you need to put that cane down. And I got along the side of that lady and I said, come on, bro, we're going to get her in. And we walked her up the steps and we set her on the thing. And the woman was screaming and hollering. I said, you need to be quiet. Ain't my business. But I did something about it. Why? Because God's put something in my heart. I felt something deep inside that said, I, I need to do something. I can't wait on somebody else to do something. There was a burning thing in my heart that said, just move your feet into the situation and get involved. And as you move your feet into the situation, the anointing of God comes. But as long as your feet stay stuck and you keep asking the question, who's going to do something about it? You'll never know what God can do through you. The Samaritan probably had more excuses than anybody else not to help the guy. But he felt something deep in his heart that he couldn't get away with. You see, when you got a burden... When you got a real burden, you can't even stop yourself when you got a real burden. So if you ain't got a real burden, you need to ask for one. Just a little side note. Your great burden doesn't need to be you. This is goofy, right? You feel uncomfortable. How do you think I feel? Because your greatest burden don't need to be you. Who consumes all your time? Is it you? Who consumes all your words? Is it you? Hi, my name's Jamie, and I'm my greatest burden. I kill myself trying to take care of myself. Listen to what Dr. Martin Luther King said about this verse. He said, I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will it cost me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Oh, did y'all catch that transition? Some of you today, that's the only transition you need to make. It's less about you and it's more about others. I'm a firm believer. God will heal you in the process of helping others. Yes. Yes. I just feel like I got this goofy thing on me today. I just want kind of like a sprinkler system or something. So what is Jesus burdened for? People. People. You ever stop to look at, at, at the people that are in your life without a judgmenting eye? You ever wonder why so-and-so in my life? Why do I happen to spend time with this person now? You ever wonder that? Like nobody's shaking their heads. Are y'all lost? Maybe you don't have people in your life? I don't know. When you ask the question, sometimes I feel like you're supposed to answer You need to ask, why why is this person in my life? 
why is this person driving me crazy? You're sure feeling some heartache over them, some heartburn maybe. What about some compassion? You know, one of the cool things about being a pastor is when you're given the opportunity to sit with somebody and gain their whole story, you sure learn a whole lot about them. When you learn a whole lot about people, you start to have way more compassion for them. And what that eventually does is it, it, it eventually teaches you that everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a background. They weren't born addicted. They weren't born a prostitute. They weren't born a, I ain't going to say that word, but they weren't born those things. What if something happened in their life that made them that way? What if they believed something that they wasn't supposed to believe and it turned into that? What if they got hoodwinked by the enemy at a young age and now they've become something that they were never intended to become? And if you're not careful, you'll judge them by what they are now, not even recognizing that there's a deeper thing inside of them. And you'll never reach people you judge. So our prayer should also be, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. We can sing it, but what if we start praying it? Number three, the third requirement of having sacrificial love is open hands. So we need open eyes. We need to be willing and wanting to see what Jesus sees because then you'll start to see the opportunities around you and you won't be able to fake it anymore. And then, then an open heart it means you're going to start feeling some things that you haven't felt before. Uh, and then open hands. Verse 34, the going over to him, the Samaritans soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him, in to, took him to an inn where he took care of him. I want you to notice what the Samaritan didn't do. He didn't stand over the guy and say, brother, I'm going to pray for you. In fact, it says he didn't even pray at all. He just put his hands on him. He got up in his mess. The dude was naked. That's some weird stuff. My grandmother used to private sit older people, and she was old herself. <laughs> it's funny. She used to private sit this old Jewish man. He was probably about this tall, little bitty fellow. He was a jeweler, filthy rich. And she private sat him, and one night she called me at 2 o'clock in the morning. He had, he had gotten out of bed. He was buck naked, and he had urinated all over himself. And she couldn't pick him up. And I tried every excuse in the book, but my grandma was never let me off the hook. I told her what I had to do tomorrow. I told her everything. She was like, no, buddy, you coming. I'm like, dang it. And I went over to that house, and I put my hands on that urinated, infested man that was naked, and I was really uncomfortable But he wasn't getting up off the floor if I said, come on, get up. You know, you really need to try harder. You know, old man, you need to make better decisions. You know what, old man, if you wouldn't have made that decision and got to bed, your butt wouldn't be on the floor. Next time I bet you stay in the bed, come on, get up. I didn't take my cane and hit him on the back of the leg. You see, you get your hands dirty in ministry, sometimes literally. The other thing the Samaritan didn't do was invite the guy to church. You know, bud, when you get better, you ought to come to church. 
God's not called us just to invite people to church, but he's called us to get involved in people's lives. And it's going to cost you everything. It's going to frustrate you. It's going to gross you out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to leave you, ah, oh, what am I doing? You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get, oh. But if you will do it anyway, you'll get the experience of being the hands and feet of God. And there's nothing better than that. You know, love is often expressed through sweat. He broke a sweat with this guy. Think about it. He had to pull him out of the ditch. The dude's naked, bleeding, laying in a ditch. He had to get down and get physical with the guy, and he had to get him up out of the ditch. That's hard in itself. You ever tried to pull a limp body? Yeah, okay, I didn't expect too many responses out of that. <laughs> I'd have been really shocked if I would have been like this, and I'd be like, whoa. It's, it's not light. Dead, dead weight is, is heavy, right? And then he had to pull him out of the ditch, and then he had to physically get him onto his donkey and then, and then walk along the side. It inconvenienced the mess out of him. It, it frustrated his schedule. It threw his life off course for a minute. And he didn't whine about it, and he didn't complain about it, and he didn't post it, and he didn't tweet it. He just went ahead and did it and didn't let nobody else know what he was doing. He wasn't taking selfies with the guy on his donkey. Just help this brother out, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hashtag, I'm the man. Oh, this is crazy. <clears throat> Are you willing to get dirty? Are you willing to do the tough things? You want to know what's funny? Is the people that have changed the world were not the most gifted people. They were just the most willing. <laughs> they were not the most gifted. They were just the most willing. You know what God wants from you today? Your willingness. He wants your will to submit to his will. If I could wrap it up in a little bitty bow and give it to you as a nice little present, he wants your will to submit to his will. In every situation, in every moment, yes, all day long, not just on Sundays. The fourth thing you need, you ready for this one? <laughs> Is an open wallet. You need open eyes and open heart, open hands. And for the love of God, some of you need an open wallet. Can I just hit you where it hurts this morning? This is my last time preaching for eight weeks. I'm going out with a bang. No, I'm not. I'm not. You need an open wallet. Verse 35, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, basically a credit card today, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I come through. You know what that tells me? That he gave him enough to last until the next time he came through. He uses his money and his resources to help this Jew. If you ever want to find out where you are with your walk with Jesus, I'll give you one tip that will show you right where you are with Jesus. Just take a look at where you give your time and your money to. 
Evaluate your time, your money, and your resources, and you'll see how good your walk with Jesus is. Because if it's all about you, your walk's struggling. When's the last time you spent money on somebody and didn't get no recognition for it and nothing in exchange? When's the last time you, you, you adjusted your schedule to help somebody out who was in need? When's the last time you used your contacts or your resources to help somebody out? I know a guy that can help you with that. I'm not good at that, but I know somebody that can help you with that. If you want to know where your walk is, look at your wallet. I'm going to take my own little praise break for a minute. Just sit right here. I love my church. We are a generous church. But still, less than 30% of you give. Can I, just, can I just have a papa moment for a minute? A Pastor Jamie moment for a minute? Imagine. Think about all the things that we're able to do right now. With less than 30% of you given. Now think about what we could do if all of you gave. We support missions in other countries. We support missions in South Africa also. We support national church plants and other churches in this, in this, in this nation. We, we do things locally. We help people out. There's people that call regularly looking for a handout. Some of them are legit. Some of them aren't. We do the best we can to weed between the two. But we always err on the side of generosity. We pour into our kids' ministry. We pour into our youth ministry. We do everything we can. We're a generous church. Imagine what we could do if everybody opened their wallet. You can love me, but you might not like me. Imagine, though. Seriously. We could start our own school. We could educate our own kids. We could hire more staff. We could do more things in this city. Meet more needs. You got to love the city you're in. You got to love the region that God's given you to open your wallet. You got to love people more than you love yourself to open your wallet. Oh, I get it. I get it. I can hear some of you thinking right now, yeah, but they got all that government money. That's what's wrong with this country. Free money doesn't jack people up. I'm not saying we pass out money. I'm saying we pass out help in the name of Jesus. And we're smart about it, right? Because this is what you got to understand, that what you do for yourself dies with you. But what you do for others lives beyond you. It lives beyond you. It goes past you. Every ounce of energy I've spent on myself is going to die with me. Everything that I've done for others is going to live beyond me. Verse 36 and 37. Now, which of these, Jesus returns the question, now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? 
The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, right on, brother, you right again. Now go and do the same. Look at your neighbor say, now go and do the same. Open your eyes, open your heart, open your hands, and open your wallet. What if the person we're supposed to identify the most with is not the priest or the assistant or even the good Samaritan? What if the person we're supposed to identify the most with is the Jew who's beaten in the ditch? Jesus came along in your journey of life when you were beaten down. And he gave his life for you. His eyes were open, his heart was open, his hands were open, they were wide open, in fact, and his wallet was open. Jesus has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, and anything that's good inside of you, it comes from what he laid down for you. We should love sacrificially because we've been given sacrificial love. Amen? Come on, Jen. So I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. Here's the question. Where's Jesus going? And do you even want to go there? What's he getting involved in? Do you want to be involved in that? You know, that's a test for me every day. Every day. And sometimes multiple times during the day, I make a decision to to follow Jesus or follow the world or follow myself. That's the decision I make. I wish I could tell you I made it one time and I was never tempted to not follow Jesus again, but that would be lying to you. It comes under attack all the time. I know that when I follow Jesus, Life is different. Life is better. It's not problem free. It's not even drama free. It's not all clean and organized and put on a shelf. It's messy as all get out. But man, there's just something about following Jesus. You get the Lazarus moment standing at a grave when he calls somebody out of the, out of the grave who's been dead for four days. You get the moments where the blind man who couldn't see can see now. You get the moments where the, the woman who's had an issue of blood and nobody else could fix it, and in one touch, Jesus fixes it, and you were right there with him. Why? Because you followed him there. You get those kinds of moments. You know what those kinds of moments do? They make you forget about how dirty your hands are. They make you forget about how much you've sacrificed. They make you forget about the pain it took to get where you were. They make you forget about all those things because you see the glory of God in that moment and you're right there with him. Only those who follow Jesus get to experience Jesus that way. So if I could say anything to you today, I would say, I would beg you to follow Jesus. Follow 
Jesus, if your eyes have been closed and your heart has been open, I mean closed and you haven't felt anything in a long time, get on your face before Jesus. Recognize it, acknowledge it and own it. Say, Lord, this is just where I've been. I've become callous. Would you open my eyes and help me to see? Would you open my heart and help me to feel? Come on, would you open my hands? Would you open my wallet? where the action is. Let's pray together. I really want you to take this moment. I want you to make this one moment right here this morning about you. Can we do that? Can you just make it about you for a minute? Some of you are like, no problem, Pastor. Good at that. this with me say Lord I know something's not right inside of me maybe I've gotten calloused hard judgmental edgy sharp impatient that I feel that way. And I know that's not how you want me to be. So I'm going to agree with you today, Lord. That's not how I'm supposed to be. That's not what you showed me. In fact, that's not how you treated me. Help me today see like you see, to feel like you feel, to do what you do, and to open up my life like you have to others, even the ones that frustrate me, even the ones that gross me out, even the ones I don't like to be around, even the ones I don't want to be around, even the ones that might mess up my reputation. invite you to change my heart, to change my mind. I give you my life. Once again, I surrender.